It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, Certified Financial Planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors. Brian, great to chat with you once again. Is your new year off to a good start so far? Well, I got to thinking about it and I remember where I was in 1999 and remember it was supposed to be Y2K and the yes. world was going to come to an end. and The fear leading up to everything. Mm-hmm. And everything was going you know, fantastic at the time. And I, I very specifically remember where I was. I was in San Francisco on a rooftop watching a huge fireworks show. And uh, it was just very memorable. And then I tried to remember where I was in 2009. And that was the year that our third child was born. I was changing companies. We were in the depths of the financial crisis. And that is all a blur. So I have I no say, idea. That sounds like a year that would be a blur. <laughs> And so we we uh, made an effort to really mark 2019 and took a good trip with the kids and did something to mark the beginning of a new decade because in 10 years, I as I think about it, all of my girls will go from you know, elementary, middle school to being in college or graduating from college. And the amount of stuff that can happen in a decade is is just tremendous. So it deserves marking. Pretty amazing how fast it flies, that's for sure, uh, because... 2000 to 2009 or 2010, essentially that decade, it took a long time to get through that decade. It felt like, you know, a lot happened. It took a while to get there, but man, 2010 to 2020 went by in a blink, blink of an eye. It was really, really fast. Two very interesting decades. And, and from a you know, portfolio and market return lesson, there's some great lessons in there, but uh, we, we can talk about that another day, but yeah, two very different decades. And let's hope that this next decade is uh, fantastic. For a little bit more conversation as well about the uh, prior decade of investing and finances and looking ahead to 2020 and beyond in the upcoming decade and maybe some things to be thinking about, check out one of our prior episodes just a couple of weeks ago. We pushed one out that uh, discussed that topic as well. So be sure to go check that one out. Well, Brian, we've got an interesting topic today. We're, We're starting off so optimistic, but unfortunately, we have a topic today that is a tough one to address. So we're going to try and make it as easy as possible to approach. You might have seen in the headline, death, a pain in the airs. Brian was trying to convince me to do that in a, in an accent before the show today. I'm not going to go there, Brian. That would just get too ugly. But <laughs> Well, I was just sitting there you know, playing with words, and I said, death, a pain in the airs. Well, if, you say, if you put a little Irish on it, it, uh, it I, I tried to make some levity out of this otherwise maybe not so pleasant topic, but that was the best I could do. I'm no comedian. Nonetheless, it's a topic that needs to be addressed. You know, I think it's easy to kind of casually move past this topic and just kind of generally say, yeah, you know, you got to plan for the death of a, of a spouse or a family member or when you both pass away, if you're a couple and what happens to the heirs in that particular situation. And it's kind of easy to just say, yeah, you need a plan in place because we all know things can go wrong or bad things can happen or, you know, there's you can probably do better than you're currently doing. But everyone's kind of hesitant to take it to that next step and say, what does it really look like? But you've had a lot of recent experiences with, with clients and people who have become clients who have gone through these situations and you've kind of been able to see firsthand just exactly the kind of complications that occur when there isn't a plan or organization in place. And so we want to spend some time today addressing what happens, what kind of things can be put in place to prevent these things from happening and how you help people kind of address this issue and solve this problem. I know it's tough to talk about, but you see it all the time, don't you? Well, and 
like diet and exercise, this is a great New Year's resolution while everybody's made or making potentially still in New Year's resolution mode. Put this on your list. This is a at least a topic to have and a review to go through to make sure that you prevent a lot of problems down the road. So as you're tightening up after the indulgences of the holiday and you're getting on the straight and narrow for a little while, it won't hurt to add this to your cleanup list and you'll, it'll pay dividends in the long run. So that would be my other reason for bringing this topic up at the beginning of a great decade. Well, let's talk about uh, what happens, what goes wrong, what have you seen when people don't have great plans in place, and then you have uh, the death of a spouse or the death of you know both parents, and what happens to the heirs in the wake of of that event. So, I've had a few scenarios over the past, let's say, couple of years where a group of sisters got together and really worked to help their father, who had things everywhere consolidate, clean up, get signatures, find paperwork, and really put things in order in advance. And, and he's still going strong, but nonetheless, they feel better and are far more assured knowing that, you know, when the day comes, it's going to be a smooth and an easier transition to deal with the estate. Then on the other end of the spectrum, I've had clients, and I'm going to have to admit, I've worked with them for years, and I was often assured, oh, no, everything's in order, everything is fine, we've got that all taken care of. And this is a difficult topic to talk about, and sometimes you can only press people so far, and you have to take them at their word for it. And then at the death of one spouse, you find out that all the cars and the house and the there's a extra brokerage account over at a a discount brokerage account that were all in the individual spouse's name, not jointly held, and passwords and logins for bill pay, everything then needs to be dealt with by a surviving spouse or by surviving children at a time when they're going through a, a traumatic event. So I've seen some cases where, you know, everything possible was done in advance And that gave people a lot of peace of mind about how the future will play out. And then I've seen somewhere, even though I was assured that everything was was in order, it turned into a probate, power of attorney, wills and documents, department of motor vehicles, credit cards. It just turned into a, a whole series of events that needed to be dealt with. And again, at a time when you don't really want to have to be dealing with that kind of minutia. Well, it seems like the problems that are dealt with are not just the fact that it's not a fun topic to talk about, but there are assumptions that kind of enter the equation too. Have you seen that kind of among the the examples that you're kind of throwing out there, Brian, where people are assuming certain things about how the process works and how that leads them down a bad path? Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, people just assume that because everything is working fine today and what they have is all set up is functional, they assume that it's going to just continue as it is when, while they're alive. And that, yeah, maybe they've got a will in place and they've told somebody what the password is or showed them where the documents are. They haven't really done a reality check to make sure everybody is on board with, with how a transition would occur. And like I said, it's a very difficult thing to 
imagine yourself or a spouse or a parent not being here, but the reality is you're going to leave everyone with a, a very unnecessary amount of work. And the the heavy burden during a dramatic life change event is not a pleasant thing to, to have to deal with. So there is plenty that you can do now to begin to tidy things up. And, and let me just say this. A lot of people are still very, very private about their finances. They don't necessarily want to tell their children or their executors or their trustees dollar amounts. There's something about an element of privacy that people are scared to tell their children because they don't want them to know how much is there or you know they, they almost feel like it's not their business or their place. And, and maybe it's because they don't want to be asked for money or, or they don't want to, you know, disclose what they view have and have for their whole life viewed as very sensitive information. So what I would encourage people to do is separate out the dollar amounts from the how to's. And if you can not reveal the dollar amounts, but at least walk through the exercise of what are the sequence of events, what are the transitions that are going to happen, who's going to do what, you can actually have a very, very constructive conversation with your heirs, with your executor, with your trustees, without having to reveal what may be private or, or sensitive information to you. That's worth repeating, I, I think. Separate out the dollar amounts from the how-tos. Yes, get a checklist uh, or a flow chart, if you will, that shows all the pieces, but just strip the dollar amounts off of there. Nobody needs to know how much is in your IRA or in your brokerage account or your checking account. If that's none of their business, that's none of their business. That doesn't mean you can't have the conversation about, hey, if I need a power of attorney activated, if I need long-term care or at death, you know, here's who's in charge. Here's how everything's going to be distributed. Everybody's going to be treated fairly. Everybody's going to be treated equally. There's nothing wrong with revealing that type of information without ever having to disclose the dollar amounts that would make people uncomfortable or put them in a, a position where they, they feel like they're going to be you know, pressed to do something they don't want to do now. And I don't even think people need a reason to be private. You know, I mean, privacy can be for privacy's sake, right? I mean, you don't even have to have some compelling reason to not want to expose that information. You know, I, th I think about my folks and I think that that's, they're kind of in that ballpark where they're just, you know, it's not that we don't trust or that it's just, we'd rather just it be private because we're, we're private people. And that's the way we believe in, in how things should be, that there are some things you just don't need to broadcast around and that you should keep tight to the vest. And it's just a good policy in a way. And you don't need to have any sort of explanation or reasoning behind it. And I think that's, that's fine. And it doesn't need to be challenged when you do exactly what you're talking about, separating out some of those dollar amounts and those privacy elements from, okay, we still want this to be a clean process and helpful for everybody and to make the transition of when these events happen a little bit easier. So I think it's great that you're taking the privacy, leaving that intact, but still discussing the how-tos. So let's go that direction. What do these how-tos look like? Can you give us a glimpse? Well, and, and one last thing on that too. I think there's a little bit of a generational shift in the comfort level of talking about dollar amounts and, and finances. And I do know that you know, my parents' generation and then maybe there's a transition off into the next generations uh, behind me 
where everybody shares everything. So it, you can talk about these things and yet be sensitive to the amount of information. But if you feel like you need to say, it's none of your business, I'm telling you this, but I'm not telling you that this part of it, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But uh, what you want to do is look at who's going to be affected the most. Okay, surviving spouses would be at the top of that priority. A lot of times one family member took care of the bills and the money coming in and uh, just handled all of the business of the household. And this, this can go either way. It, it may be, have been the husband, it may have been the, the wife, but the surviving spouse is often going to be left in the lurch if they're not the one who was handling the finances and the, the bill payments and the money. So a surviving spouse is going to be uh, the one that you want to provide the most continuity for. Children are the second category. And by the time you tidy up an estate, come back in and you don't have anyone around to help you find the missing pieces, where are the breadcrumbs? Where are the stock certificates? Or there's a couple of bond issues and there's some CDs and multiple checking accounts or, or different banks around town. The broader your pieces are spread, the more likely it is that one of them is going to get missed. And I have helped people go through lost property claims to actually you know, find lost property from accounts or assets that somebody missed and, and those things got transferred over to the state and there they'll, they'll, they'll sit if you don't deal with them. And, and if you don't tell people where things are, it's going to be very difficult for them to find them. And then finally, if you've got executors or powers of attorney named, you can name different people for some of these different roles. So you might have a power of attorney for uh, financial or healthcare directives while you're still alive. You have an executor uh, who may be in charge of your will and or trustees if you've, if you've set up trust. So there's a lot of people that you should think about incorporating into this discussion and what's their role and do they know each other? Do they know your financial advisor, your accountant, your attorney? Do they know where to find all the pieces? So those are just some of the people that you want to incorporate into the discussion. So we've got a lot of people that get affected the most by having a, well, a, a bad plan in place or a good plan in place. The, the, how they get affected varies, but you're dealing with the surviving spouse, the children, and then as you mentioned, kind of those other parties involved, the executors and the powers of, of attorney and the, the trustees that might be in place. Who should take advantage of the opportunity to put together a better plan, um, who should take advantage of kind of making sure that all these things are addressed so that those affected most are affected in a positive way? Well, this may sound obvious or, or maybe not so obvious, but healthy living people should do this. And those are the people that think the day is never going to come. I'm going to live forever. Everything's in order. Everything's going to be just fine. But that's the best time to do a lap around this and make sure that everybody's on the same page, the documents are in place, and uh, do it while you're well. If you're dealing with a terminal illness or something like that, and you try and scramble at the end of life to pull all this together, again, that's going to be a stress that you don't want to deal with at that particular moment. So do this proactively, even when it doesn't feel like you need to do it. And at the end of the day, Walter... Everyone needs to do this, uh, especially couples that are 
you know, they've been several years in retirement, they're getting older, they may have put some things in place in the past that are no longer valid, not just from a legal or a mechanic standpoint, but they may have named uh, a brother or a even a parent as a power of attorney or as a backup person or beneficiary on on a uh, IRA or life insurance policy, and the person that you've named may no longer be alive, may no longer be able or capable of, of handling this, and so it really really needs to be dealt with, you know, maybe on a five-year rotation. Just go back and review all the parties named and make sure that that's up to date. So you mentioned this kind of being tied into New Year's resolutions a little bit, or we're at least kind of still in that mindset as we're releasing this episode. So give us some actionable items, some steps that we could create, because that's what resolutions are all about, right? Taking it from just saying it to actually doing it and putting a plan in place. So with it being the beginning of the year, you're going to have all of your tax documents beginning to roll in. So every 1099, every gain-loss statement, every year-end uh, summary or report that you get from things that, uh, that, that may only report on an annual basis, you'll have those things rolling in over the next couple of months. That is a great opportunity to take inventory so that you can begin to consolidate now. And especially for things that are still in paper form, we've moved heavily to electronically held uh, securities. And if you can get the titling right and get everything consolidated into one account, that can move things along much, much more smoothly in the future. Another possibility is to look at titling. So as those statements come in, as those tax forms come in, look at the titling on the actual document. Is this in one person's name or are both spouses listed? And the key thing that you're looking for is survivorship titling, specifically joint tenants with right of survivorship, JTWROS, will be actually in the in the titling. Uh, there's different types of joint titling, and you may want to use them for estate planning, but that's a different topic. But houses, cars, savings accounts, checking accounts, even credit card accounts, you would like to have those in joint titled accounts with survivorship titling. So that makes a very smooth and even automatic transition of those assets. Uh, and the next thing that you want to do is check beneficiary designations. Again, like I said, you may have named somebody a beneficiary that you know 10 or 20 years ago made perfect sense, but it may not be the best beneficiary now. And if you have not named contingent beneficiaries, that would be a uh, an excellent step to review because with one spouse inheriting an, an entire IRA, there's actually an ability to disclaim an asset and let that go ahead and pass. Uh, to heirs. I've seen that save estate taxes in the past. Right now, we're at a level where that's not such a big deal, but uh, certainly something to make sure you've got in place. Uh, Next thing to do would be to understand probate. And this is one of those topics that varies by state. Now, I happen to be in Georgia, and Georgia is not an expensive or difficult probate state. So it may not be such a big deal here to make sure that You've put things in revocable trusts or done things to bypass probate. But there are states, uh, California is one in particular, where you 
probably want most or all of the assets in a revocable trust or in some way uh, or some titling or beneficiary designation that helps you bypass probate because it can be difficult and lengthy. Now, uh, another issue here, too, is if you own property in multiple states, I'll see people with a primary residence in one state, but they've got a piece of land or a property or a rental house or a beach house or something like that in another state, and you want to make sure that you've familiarized yourself with the probate rules and laws in, in each of those states, because they can vary and make things more complicated. And then uh, finally, as I've mentioned before, make sure your executor is able and willing to probate your estate. Many people think naming an executor is somewhat of an honor. It's like, this is the person that I have chosen, and it's a very nice gesture. But in reality, it is a lot of work. There may be some people who are better suited for the job. People who are more detail-oriented, don't mind handling paperwork, can make sure all the signatures and, and things get into the right place. You know who in your family is better at dealing with those things. So don't just go with seniority or who you think it would be a a nice gesture to name. Go with the person that is best suited for the job. And then the uh, next thing you want to do is work with your spouse or children and review all of your bill pays, passwords, and physical document uh, locations. This is one of the things that people have a little scratch pad maybe in the back of a notebook or they've got a cheat sheet taped to their desk with with all of these things. Trying to decipher those after the fact is an absolute challenge. If you can sit down and get, I know there's some safety issues and cybersecurity issues here, but there are some password vaults and things and technology that you can use. If that's too high tech, uh, at least make sure you go through and have a list of websites, uh, what the username and login is, and and have those handy so that you have, have some continuity to those programs. I'm sure a lot of these conversations, too, don't just revolve around the dollar amounts. There's other decisions to be made through here as well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you, if you don't want the electric or the electricity to get cut off or the you know, trash to not get picked up, you know, th- those people will want to and need to get paid. And you could do some things like uh, auto pay and have a recurring payment set up if you're dealing with a a period of illness or something like that. So lots of solutions. I'm just trying to throw a lot of ideas out there so that people realize how comprehensive this can can potentially be. What about, uh, just kind of from another thought here as well, what about heirs meeting with the financial advisor? How often are the folks that come into your office involving that next generation into those meetings? Is that something that you suggest or that you advise against for privacy concerns? Or is it a case-by-case basis? What are some of the pros and cons of that? So what I see is a little bit of everything. I'll have people that the whole family will come to at least one or two meetings per year and we'll discuss things you know, very openly and candidly, and, and, and again, you know, being sensitive to the dollar amounts. But a more common or usual scenario is while people are drafting wills, powers of attorney, healthcare directives, they may incorporate a child or their, their children or their, certainly their spouse into that process. So they're, they're engaged and maybe going to meet the attorney, maybe you know, having an opportunity to read the documents or see what the flow chart of, 
of things would be. And then they don't really stay involved or review things in the future. So they may have done it five or 10 or 20 years ago, but it would certainly be a good opportunity to do that. And we're, we actually provide a service to our clients that want to do this with their heirs. We'll, we'll sit down and, again, strip all the numbers out and then run through a flow chart workshop, you know, maybe a half day, bring everybody into the office and just make sure everybody knows what's going to happen when, you know, when the day comes that they're going to have to activate these, these powers of attorney or utilize long-term care or, you know, ultimately at, at death when things pass, you know, through the probate and the beneficiary designation processes that everybody knows, you know, where everything's going and, and who's in charge. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, when I talk about naming the right person for the job, I personally named a different person for the healthcare power of attorney than my financial power of attorney. So my spouse is going to be, you know, financial power of attorney and would be the primary beneficiary and all that and all those types of things. But for the healthcare directives, those are the decisions around end of life care and you know, withholding or, you know, basically pulling the plug, if you will. And I know that my wife and probably my mother and that side of the family, they're very compassionate people. And I think they would have a very hard time pulling the plug. So if I needed that type of decision to be made, I've actually named my father-in-law as the healthcare power because I'm confident that he would love to pull the plug on me, given the opportunity. <laughs> I was wondering if that's the direction you were going. <laughs> well, he, and, and I say that he, he's a minister. He's a Baptist minister, retired now. But he's dealt with a lot of hard you know, decisions and situations through his life. And he's, he's a no-nonsense guy. So while, while he's able and, or, and around, if something happened to me that I was in a you know, vegetative state, he could make the hard decision and and actually, you know, I, I can know with confidence that that will be be taken care of. And I don't have to leave that burden to my spouse or somebody or a child or something like that. I can see how if you can, separating those duties out also keeps that one person from feeling just the weight of all of those decisions on them. That can take a toll. I, I've seen it personally in some extended family how some of the times if you don't address these things, they can lead to the big issues and the problems that you were kind of touching on earlier in the in the podcast. And mm-hmm. so it's, uh, it's definitely a topic that can be addressed and lessons should be learned from those who came before us and didn't do it the, uh, the most effective way. Um, why not better the situation now? Uh, it's kind of a why not conversation, right? Yeah, and, and while we're on the topic of healthcare directives, you know, I, I have to find an opportunity to bring this back around to pizza and food. Every episode has to have that link. It has to have it in there somewhere. <laughs> so it, one of the things that you can choose on the healthcare directives is whether or not you want nutrition and hydration withheld. And some people are, they think, well, if, if they're at the end of life and if this would help move things along to withhold nutrition or, or hydration, tell you what, Walter, I do not like being hungry and I did not check that box. I said, if you can crush up a pizza and put it <laughs> in IV form, I will yeah. take it. Do not withhold nutrition on me. So <laughs> they can mince the pepperoni small enough to get it through there, right? Please, please find a way. <laughs> and if you get cheese hot enough, it'll slide right, right there. There you anything. go. So, there you go. There you go. 
Fantastic. All right. So that's a lot of actionable item steps. If somebody's not quite sure where to begin or they don't want to go at gathering all these things and figuring this out all on their own, tell me a little bit more about what it looks like to work with Living Worth Wealth Advisors, how you shepherd people through the process, how many meetings does it take to accomplish all of this? Just give us kind of a quick overview of what the process would look like. So in our initial onboarding process with clients and the retirement shield process that we utilize, we have a segment in there for estate planning, obviously beneficiary designation reviews. If you have existing documents, we'll take a look at those and make sure that they actually accomplish what you want to accomplish based on the goals that you've articulated. If you've not done that yet, we will put you in contact with some estate planning attorneys that we use or would recommend, or if you have one, we will work and interface with them to help make sure that your estate plan jives with your accounts, uh, titling, beneficiary designation. And, And let me just point out, Walter, that many people think that because they have a will, everything's all taken care of. But they forget that beneficiary designation assets such as IRAs, life insurance policies, or survivorship titling, like joint tenants of right of survivorship, all of those things trump your will. It does not matter what your will says. If your beneficiary designation is an ex-spouse or your estate or something like that, you can't change that just because of what your will says. So make sure that you've looked at each of those assets in the form that they will actually pass. And and that that's probably the number one mistake I, I see and I help clients understand that, make sure things are titled correctly, make sure their will works correctly or their revocable trust works correctly with, with their intentions. Well, if you need more information about what we've talked about today and you'd like to schedule perhaps a 15-minute call to just begin to walk down that road or find out a little bit more from Brian, uh, you can do that by visiting the website, makethedoughrise.com. That's makethedoughrise.com. You'll find there on the site an easy way to go ahead and schedule that 15-minute call. You can also dial in uh, directly to 706-451-9800. That'll put you in touch with the office and allow you to uh, set up that time for that call as well. 706-451-9800 is that number. And you can also read more uh, about Brian's book by going to retirementrescue.net. In the book, he discusses a lot of the things and the concepts that we've talked about on today's show and in other podcasts as well. And it's a great way to get to know Brian and uh, some of his teachings in more detail as well. Go to retirementrescue.net if you want to learn more about getting the book in addition to uh, the things that we've talked about on today's show. Brian, hard conversation for many people to have. Hopefully we showed some ways why it's still worthwhile to have that conversation and also that it doesn't have to be the... uh, I guess, difficult route that a lot of people make it out to be. It's just a frank conversation, but one that needs to be had uh, by every family. And no one regrets having this conversation, right? It's always, it's always going to end as a positive thing to address and discuss. It, it's harder for some people to have it and just get over that threshold of, of acknowledging that this needs to be discussed. But once it's done, yes, everybody feels much better about the process. So we uh, do encourage you to address it with your family members. And if you need assistance in facilitating that discussion or pulling together some of the things that we've talked about on today's show, don't be afraid to reach out. Brian, thank you for the help and the guidance on the show. And uh, I look forward to another edition of the podcast with you next time around. Sounds great, Walter. Thank you. All right. That's Brian Doe. I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We'll look forward to talking to you again next time right back here on Make the Doe Rise. 
Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.